Hi, everyone, and welcome to the European Startup Show, where every week I talk to exciting startups in Europe to learn more about their challenges and strategies they use to scale their business. But before we get into the podcast, a word from the sponsors of this episode, Chargebee. Chargebee is the leading subscription billing platform that powers some of the best SaaS and subscription startups, such as Hopin, Spendesk, Livestorm, and Team Leader. The platform is particularly powerful for European startups to navigate complex issues such as tax compliances, invoicing, and billing regulations. The product also enables you to experiment with different pricing models and also to localize the pricing and checkout experiences. So check them out at chargebee.com. And now let's get into today's episode. Today, I'm going to be interviewing a VC. Deepali is an advisor to female founders and an angel investor with a keen interest in digital health, femtech, and sustainability. Some of her investments include Live Better With, Pension B, Polypop, Parla, Planera, and several others that we'll be getting into. Deepali is also a co-founder at Alma Angels, which was set up to democratize and demystify angel investing and create more female angel investors. She's also an Atomico Angel and a venture partner at Speed Invest, where she focuses on female founders. And most recently, Dipali was also named UKBAA's Angel Investor of the Year. I am delighted to have Dipali with me here today. As you can imagine, I have, like other women, a big interest in seeing a lot more female founders here in Europe. So welcome, Dipali. Thank you, Anita. I was hoping that I can hand the baton of the angel investor of the year down to another woman next year. I would love to get a quick understanding of how you ended up here so focused on female-led businesses. Absolutely. So my journey into early stage venture started when I left the city and I helped Kensington and Chelsea, the local council, actually set up an angel investor network, really a syndicate where they wanted to use some of the high net worth, wealth and the expertise resident in Kensington and Chelsea to invest into startups. Before that, I had done investment banking, you know, growth investing, but not really early stage. At that point, I started meeting founders. So this was eight or nine years ago, started meeting the founders of today, the ones that we see raising Series B and Series C funding. And given that I was a woman, obviously wanted to focus more on female founders. And at that point, there were not that many female founders building large scale for businesses. And I did have a soft spot for women. And I would try and encourage more women to pitch at our angel syndicate. And because I was a woman, I naturally signed up more female investors as a result. One of my earliest investors at the syndicate was somebody called Andrea, who's now a dear friend. And she's also a part of Alma. But my journey into female founders really started, you know, when I was advising these women, getting their pitch decks ready and started putting small checks into them. Often my female friends would come up to me and say, can you look at our business plan? And that's how the journey into women-led businesses started about eight years. What do you feel we as continent in Europe have done well in terms of encouraging women-led businesses and where are we still lacking when it compares to women-led businesses? Women were not building large-scale businesses many years ago. Women are now building those businesses. So we're seeing more and more female entrepreneurs doing that. We are also seeing a lot more female investors. So we're seeing more and more women in VC who can then understand some of these businesses that are being built because usually women start businesses or any entrepreneur starts a business because they feel a pain point. And the women-led businesses tend to focus on female pain points and therefore a woman on the other side of the table that makes it easier when they're pitching or when they're pitching for capital or more generally asking for advice. It's just nice to see somebody on the other side of the table who understands the problem. So we are obviously making progress 
If you look at Speed Invest, the fund that I joined with the focus on female founders, I'm the first venture partner that I think ever has been recruited in the European ecosystem. I don't know any other venture partner who's been recruited with the focus on female founders. We need to see more women at the forefront, more women investing. And, you know, some of that is happening. I've never seen uh, such a big wind of change, for want of a better word. Like I always say that it's a marathon. And it's not a sprint. It's going to take time. There's lots of unconscious bias and we, we need to train people to think differently. You and me and all of us have biases. So it's not like a male versus female thing. Even women are biased against other women. There's a lot of change that is coming, a lot of change that is happening. And depending on the culture, Europe is not one country, right? So there might maybe a lot more happening in the UK. But then if I look at Speed Invest, it's an Austrian fund. You know, we have Austrians, Germans, we have lots of other nationalities in there. They are trying to make change. So change is coming, definitely. You talked about one point in terms of the barriers that maybe women-led businesses faced when they are looking for money. One is obviously the fact that maybe they're focusing on issues and pain point that are much more relevant to other women and so may not be well understood if they aren't women on the other side. What other barriers do you feel women-led businesses have in terms of attracting investments at the same level as men? 90% of VC is still white male. If, if someone on the other side of the people doesn't understand the problem, then they probably think it's too niche a problem. Sometimes I've heard men who sat across the table and said, I don't really understand it or don't want to make an effort to understand it. As investors, we don't understand everything. There are lots of businesses I look at, I will never understand as much as the entrepreneur, but it's our job to understand because that's why we want to invest. But I feel that some men have had this approach that don't understand, for example, fintech or women's health and don't want to bother, even though their mother, sister, daughter, everyone has the period. There are those biases that exist. And other than that, women tend to pitch slightly smaller visions, perhaps. I always tell women to think big and pitch a big vision. They just tend to be more authentic, to be more realistic. And that's what they pitch. And maybe that works against them. Do you feel that in terms of evaluating a women-led business, is there any difference at all in how you think about those businesses versus any other one? Or is it exactly the same criteria? Sometimes there's not even a different space. Women are building fintech. I've invested in Pension B. It's a fintech company. Women are building businesses in all sorts of technologies. I look at the same evaluation criteria, except that I'm mostly 99% of the businesses I look at are female-led. So I have a different lens, but I don't think there's any other criteria. I know that when I've interviewed some women, some of them have told me they definitely had plans of starting a family, for example. And so they were very clear that when they were looking at investors, if any investor asked them questions around, well, what are you going to do? And maybe you should step back when you decide to have a family or anything like that. There are some women that have been on my show and they were uh, pregnant and they were starting a family. And so they had this kind of pushback. And so they said, we would just say no. And maybe they were in a fortunate position to be able to say, yeah, I'm not going to look at you as an investor because you asked me that question. But from an investor perspective, how do you balance the business objectives of revenues and scale when it's young women entrepreneurs who you know are really driven, but may also be thinking about starting and expanding their family? Do you feel that's something that you can give as advice to perhaps your male counterparts when it comes to investing in terms of why you still believe in so much in women? I have worked through both my children, so I have never stopped working. I understand I haven't built a big, large, scalable business, but I've coached many women 
who've had exactly this issue, they've said, what shall we tell our investors? And I'm like, you need to just say that I have a plan. I have a plan for when I'm on maternity leave. So nobody is indispensable at the end of the day. And you need to make sure that you have a leadership team or your people on your team who can just pick up the slack when you're not around. You're never going to completely switch off as a founder. You never completely switch off as an investor. Men have children, but we never ask them that question. Oh, your guess what? Your wife is pregnant. What's going to happen here? We never ask that question because it's assumed that the wife is going to stay home and take care of the child. So at Speed Invest, we have a paternity policy. I have a colleague who's currently on paternity leave for six months. And that's what should be normalized. It should be normal that it's okay for the father and the mother to take time off and come back. It's as simple as that. So in my view, it's not mutually exclusive. It's not one or the other. I think you made a really good point about policy. I've had some women entrepreneurs, for example, from France who said, France has this incredible policy where they give you money and support to be a a woman entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. How do you see women entrepreneurship and women-led businesses uh, across the landscape of Europe and UK? We do have, at least in the UK, we have SCIS and EIS, which are the tax breaks that are given to all businesses, not just female-led businesses. And I have often banged on to the UKBA about uh, the UK Business Angel Association about increasing the tax break for female-led businesses. I have also mentioned that we should have more grant funding. Every business is VC fundable. And you want to encourage female entrepreneurship, you should have government grants to encourage that. And to be honest, I think entrepreneurship should be taught at schools. There should be more grant funding. There should be more tax breaks for women. There's lots you can do. Of course, I don't know each geography in a lot of detail, but obviously the UK is very good in terms of tax breaks. I'm sure some of the other countries also have them, but they're agnostic to female versus male. Do you see more women-led businesses coming out of any specific parts of Europe? I just made my first angel investment in Germany. It was two female founders. But I have now started spending time in the Nordics as well as in Sweden and Berlin, Germany. I'm looking all over the place. I met this fantastic team out of Denmark on Friday, actually very cool fintech team that I might be interested in. It's just interesting. All the places you named are the same places you would see if you just looked at investing in general. It would be France, it would be Germany, it would be the Nordics, it would be the UK. So it sounds like the female-led businesses are on the same trend in terms of areas where you're seeing more of it, perhaps. So before I get into some of the questions that I'm sure a lot of the women founders in my listenership are eager to hear from, I'm curious, I'm a mom, I have a daughter and a son, and I know that you have a daughter and a son. Is there any way that I can encourage my daughter to be more of a risk taker, more thinking about entrepreneurship that you may be doing with your children? When she was little, when she was not in secondary school, so when when I could still influence her, let's put it that way, she did come to a lot of the things that I judged at Imperial College or she would uh, spend a lot of time in the summer holidays at that point listening to businesses pitch. And I remember her taking copious notes at that point. She started a little business last year during the pandemic, making jewelry uh, and she would bake the jewelry and uh, sell it on Etsy. To be honest, she had a lot of orders globally and uh, it was stuff she was making at home. And I I think it was fantastic that she had orders from all over the world. Really, My son thinks quite differently, actually, definitely feels he wants to be an entrepreneur already. Not sure how, as long as they do whatever they want to do and they're happy. But my son reads a lot of books that I would probably read. I don't have them here, but he picked out a, a few Harvard Business Reviews. He's 11 at the airport. 
on influence and passion and leadership and mindfulness. And to be honest, we share those books because I'm like, I love this, what you're reading. I mean, I don't play any intentional role other than what they see me do. But my father was an entrepreneur and that's why I feel I learned a lot just by watching him. I think that makes sense. It's more what you do than what you say that influences your children. Okay. I'm thinking from an entrepreneur's perspective. And my first question is, what do women founders and companies looking for VC money from you have to do differently in the current environment? Does your pitch need to be different? What are you looking for as an investor in a women-led business? I, I, I don't think the pitch needs to be different, but I think women need to pitch big and think big and articulate big because I do think that women are just more authentic and therefore don't pitch that big vision. But to be honest, I'm looking for that authenticity. When I look at a business plan, I'm really looking at the founders. I'm looking for what you call founder market fit, which is, is this the best founder to build a business in this market? Why is that? What is the background of the founder? What do they bring to the table? Is there any domain knowledge? Is there any experience? If not, how are they going to build that experience around them? Uh, What I call the MVP, which is the mission, the vision, and the passion of the founder. That's what I look for. And beyond that, any metrics that they have would be useful. You know, early stage businesses, if they've done any research and testing around the idea, because again, any business is born out of your own problem. But is that problem something people are willing to pay for? Is that problem large enough? Because VCs are looking to back large businesses, which is the other issue. I don't think all businesses are VC fundable. And you often find people go for funding and I can't get the funding. And they're like, why can't I get funding? And it's because your business is not going to be that large. Obviously, from a VC standpoint, businesses need to be larger than an angel standpoint. What stage are you investing in when you're looking at women-led businesses? As an angel, I invest quite early. So I would say pre-seed. I have done some seed, but very little. And the business I met on Friday was Series A. I never really invest in Series A, but you know, I clearly met them too late. I should have met them like a few, maybe two years ago. But um, at Speed Invest, we invest across lots of different verticals from consumer marketplaces, digital health, industrial tech, deep tech, and fintech. In all the verticals other than fintech, we do pre-seed and seed. And in fintech, we do pre-seed, seed, CDZ and beyond. So, and we're also raising an emerging market fund. So we do early and late, depending on the set. I think the pre-seed and seed is so interesting, but also probably so difficult because as you said, you don't have any metrics to go by at that point. You probably have a PowerPoint and, and you have the founders in front of you. Do you feel that it's more gut and gut feel for the MVP that you talked about, which I love, by the way, mission, vision, and passion? Or how do you know? I mean, it seems so subjective to me. When I meet a founder, I instantly know the deals I want to dig deeper into. Like there's something of the pitch and like really excited and energized after meeting a founder. And it's really the founder at that point, right? Because they might be pitching, but it really is all about the founder until you dig deeper. And then there's a bucket that, you know what, this is not that interesting. And again, in my view, it's the founder because the founder is telling the story. So there's something about the pitch, which can be good and bad because everybody has good and bad days. But to be able to tell that story is so important that you instantly know that this is not something that I'm going to dig deeper into. I think the hard ones are the ones that are in the middle. You're like, I'm, you know, I'm not sure, but there's something here. And those are the ones that take the longest. Tell me about a, a case where you missed investing on something. What happened and what did you learn from it? There's so many because I don't invest in probably 90% of them, but I always tend to keep in touch with them because if I missed it at pre-seed, maybe 
it's only when I'm looking at seed that I'm like, oh, either it's now or never, or maybe series day, I might look at it, but unlikely because the valuations are too high. So I do keep in touch with the founders. So it's not like they go away. A, I try and help them. If not for me, who else is this for? I, again, I categorize deals in two buckets. One, these deals are for me and who else can I bring on the table to add value? These deals are not for me. How can I help these founders bring the capital that they need? So I keep in touch with them. I introduce them to other people introduce them to Alma Angels on both sets. So Alma, as you know, is a community that we set up of angel investors to invest into female founders. I don't look at deals as missed yeah. deals because if I did, then I would be, you know, devastated about many deals that I didn't do because I feel there are deals that I didn't do because they were male founders and they have done phenomenally well. But because I stuck to my vision of investing in women. So I didn't do, I think I have two men in my portfolio, but there are lots of deals I didn't do because they were male founders. In fact, there's a deal I didn't do last year that was introduced to me in women's health. It was a male founder at that time. And I was brought into the deal and I said, I love it, but I don't think I'll do it. And this year they have a new CEO. It's a female CEO. So I'm meeting her next week. Well, that's, that's a good story. When it comes to timing, you mentioned that you'd like to see some research by the founder when they come to you. Do you have any general advice on when women should look for funding from angels in their journey? I think you have to first decide whether it's the route you want to go. And there are lots of businesses that are self-funded and our lifestyle businesses or larger businesses that don't ever go for VC funding or angel funding. So firstly, you need to decide, is that the route I want to take? Because with money comes strings. There is no free money unless it's grants. Even grants come with strings attached. I think you have to decide whether or not you want that. And then if you're looking at unicorn exits, then you know it makes sense to talk to VCs. If you're looking at smaller exits, there are VCs that look at smaller exits as well. But there are lots of angels who are then can fund you. Firstly, Anybody who you know and who knows how you execute is your first source of capital. That's the friends and family. They are the first set of people who actually believe in you because they yeah. know you. That's the easiest money to raise. And beyond that, depending on what you've built and what you've tested and what metrics you have, you can go to angel investors and the groups, pockets of syndicates or angels, and you start approaching them. And then right now I've seen VCs really come downstream. So there are lots of rounds being done at a very early stage. That's a mix of angels and VCs. So a VC comes and takes the round. Then the founder says, you know what? I'm looking for value-add angels to fill out my round because angels are the ones who usually take the first risk, but also very supportive yeah. and open up the network and spend time with the businesses. So that's when the angel capital comes in. But in terms of what you have, it really depends. Sometimes deals get funded without anything. Second-time founders get funded, but the thing is that they're not enough female second-time founders yeah. because entrepreneurship is still new. So I often find that female un and underrepresented founders are usually not second-time founders. They're usually first-time founders. That's why they also take longer to raise. And I also find that sometimes I see cap tables, female businesses that are messed up because they took not enough money but gave up too much of their business. So that ratio was kind of a mismatch. And therefore, when you see their cap table, when they're raising down the line, they've already given up too much of their business. And which is one metric VCs do look at. They're like, how much does the founder still own? So can you give any advice on what they should do in that very early stage when they're looking at angels? Yeah, not just angels. Even VCs have come in and early VCs have come in because when you find it hard to raise capital, it's only natural to just take what you get and not negotiate. So I would really say that it is currently a seller's market, which is the founders. There's so much capital out there that you should be picky about who you're taking money from, 
how much of your business you're giving away, get good investors on board. Is there any source of knowledge for them, someone who's a first-time entrepreneur, to go and to understand how much should they give away for a certain amount of money? There's lots of mentoring around. Lots of VCs have office hours and, and there's a lot of information out there. But the best people to talk to are other founders. That's how you really gain knowledge. The other thing that used to come up when I talked to a lot of women founders is if you happen to be one of those who's got a good network because you went to a good business school or went to a good undergrad or you have the domain expertise, then it's much easier. But what if your idea or your network isn't that strong? How do you find angels that know your space that are going to be open about looking at your business and seeing if they invest? A very good question because most female founders and underrepresented founders don't have those networks. There are lots of angel syndicates around and we also set up Alma, which is really like a free community. Mm-hmm. Any female entrepreneur can apply to Alma and there are investors in there who are interested and might look at the deal. There is no guarantee of funding, but at least you know that that's why we created it. We didn't want to create another syndicate, but really somewhere with no barrier to entry where you can just come and meet investors. So there are places like that out there. There are lists out there now Sifted does a list, you know, of angel investors, mm. top 100, top 20. And there are lots of angel programs like the Atomic or Angel Program. And they publish these lists. They say these people have capital from us. Reach out to them on LinkedIn. My email is on my LinkedIn. There are a lot of people reach out to me on my LinkedIn and reach out to me directly on email. In fact, the Alma investors have Alma mentioned on their LinkedIn. If you search for Alma on LinkedIn, you can just ping your deck to those people directly as well and ask. And angels like you are open to completely cold emails and pitch decks from people. I get lots and lots and lots. I invested last in a company called Shellworks, which was completely cold. She reached out to me cold and said, I love what you invest in. You invested in Planera, would love to talk to you. And she was phenomenal. So you don't see them differently, whether they came referred to you from a friend of yours, et cetera, or came cold. I do get a lot of referrals and a lot of VC funds reach out, a large network, friends, women, Women, phenomenal women in VC who reach out to me with deals. They're saying this is a strong founder we met too early for us, would love for you to meet her, etc. So I do get a lot of reverse. And my biggest problem is mailbox management. And I'm sure there are people that I miss because I just don't have the bandwidth to get to them. So I always say that if, if you've emailed me and I've missed your email, please email me again. Speed Invest launched this partnership with SoftBank earlier this year where we wanted to fund and accelerate at least 10, a cohort of underrepresented founders, including female founders this autumn. And so we did do a whole application process where we put out, you know, for seed stage funding and we will be announcing a cohort soon because we've been going through all those applications. Lovely. And once you've got a few investments that you're looking to invest in, what is your process for due diligence? How long should entrepreneurs expect that time to be? Obviously on the angel side, it's quite quick. I do do work. I do some referencing. I will look at the model. I will try out the product uh, if the product does exist. If not, it's really trying to understand the market and the problem. On the Speed Invest side, we call Speed Invest. So we're quite quick. We can be as quick as you need us to be. But of course, the diligence process is longer and more people are involved and we all have a vote and it's very collaborative, but everybody gets a chance if it's a digital health team deal the whole digital health team will vote and we as many people will meet uh, the company but we'll do like two or three sessions with the company we're not going to do like 15 sessions it can be as quick as possible it can be as 
little as a week. It can be uh, as much as a month. Okay. The co-head of an accelerator was talking about how even though overall the funding in Europe has gone up, the number of angel funding and the ticket price, the really small, like the 100K, 200K, the really small amounts when you're just trying to figure out if this concept has any legs has actually gone down. And she was saying that there's a problem when it comes to angel funding in that really early stage, especially if you don't have a network, you're not a second time entrepreneur, you don't have business school network. So the number of angel rounds has gone down. Do you have any thoughts on that? I know that there's more pre-seed funding in the sense that more funds are coming into the angel market. And I don't know if that number is going down because there are larger funds who are taking the angel allocations, which is very much possible. But I will say that the early stages of raising capital is hard. It is very hard to raise the first 100, 200K, which is why we need to have more grant funding from the government to enable those ideas and that innovation to actually happen. That thousands of innovation happen and one makes it. Thousands of ideas that come, but, but we need to be able to at least fund the most promising ones. But there are universities that is funding that Innovate UK. We just probably need more and more of it. Yeah. Is there anything else I should have asked you, Dipali, in terms of what you hear from women founders that I haven't asked you about? I will say that there's a lot of mentoring out there, but we need more capital. We need more put your money where your mouth is from people who talk about investing in female founders. But it's a good way to approach an investor asking for advice and keeping in touch with them and giving them regular updates because often you say it might not be right for me now, but it might be right next year. So it's not a bad approach to actually meet people when you don't need capital with a view to asking them for advice and then being in touch. I think that's really good advice. Before I close on the business aspect of it, are there any sectors that you are specifically bullish on? Are there any investments you've done that you're really proud of that you want to talk about a little bit? I did a lot of women's health last year because it's a huge data problem. There's a huge data and research gap. So I did lots of women's health from menopause to fertility to contraceptive to uh, vaginal microbiome. So super interesting businesses. I have done fintech, as you know, I did Pension B quite early and then followed on and a big fan of Romy. She took a company public, had two kids all in a matter of four years. This year, I did a few companies. I did Bio in Germany, carbon footprint, carbon tracking business. I did Vine Health in the summer. It's patient reporting outcome for cancer patients. Super interesting to phenomenal female founders who had a very, very successful fundraise. I did Framework, which is an ad tech business. So my first investment in ad tech really, it's bite-sized content for scale-up leaders. Came out of Founders Factory. Again, two amazing female founders. I, I, I met this business on Friday and I was super excited about it. So let's see. What happens? I'm proud of all of them. I did Jude earlier this year. I did Hangry, which is bringing private chefs to your home. I did Tooth Fairy, which is an underrepresented founder. So not a female founder, but it's dental health business. I think that's what I did this year. But I looked at so many, so many more and so many for Speed Invest. So um, hoping to do a lot more and very excited about announcing a SoftBank Speed Invest cohort. Lovely. So at the end, I have a rapid round where I ask you questions that have nothing to do with what you're doing as a day job. And I always like to start with your <laughs> favorite book that really made an impact on you that that you would like to share. By the way, I'm going to read it again this autumn. 
It's called Invisible Women, and it talks about the huge data gap that women face in all areas, from not just healthcare, but you know, just how everything is designed around us, including things like iPhones and jeans. Yeah. It talks about everything, and I would highly recommend the book. I'm going to be reading. I last read it last year, maybe two years. I'm going to read it again. I read a lot of nonfiction, and I love reading things that are inspirational. What about a productivity tool? I would say Calendly. It really helps with scheduling rather than too much back and forth on email. So that is definitely something I use. What about a favorite city in Europe? I love Southern Italy, like the Malfi Coast and that whole area. I'm not sure it qualifies as a city, but I love the region. And my last one is favorite quote. It doesn't have to be yours necessarily, but a quote that you live by or that you think or you share with your entrepreneurs? Actually, I have two quotes. One by my dad. I, I, I was his biggest fan, really. And he always said to me that do what you love and the money will follow. It was never about, you know, where can I make the most amount of money? But it was always like, follow your passion and everything else will fall into place. Uh, and the second thing was, uh, I was listening to the speech and, and he was the ex-CFO of Google. And he said, when in doubt, be generous with your time. And I always feel that that's the way I want to live my life because I want people to remember me for that extra time that I gave them, even though I never probably had it. But I do feel that being kind is very important in life. Dipali, I love both of those quotes. And honestly, you're not going to believe this, but I've followed you a little bit because I have you on my Instagram and I've seen in the few years that I've known you doing exactly what you just said. You've just been following your passion of highlighting stories about inspiring women that you are meeting and the latest um, accolade of you becoming the UK Business Angel of the Year is a testament to that correlation of of the things. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on my podcast, Dipali. Thank you so much. And I look forward to hearing and seeing more of your stories. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. I don't charge guests to be on the show and your ratings and review help the show stay alive. Thank you very much for listening and until next time, keep building.